Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Crank up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Getting a football for Christmas and other mandatory footballing superstar Genesis moments. The most elite sportsperson whose voice you barely ever heard. Angry DMs to transfer marks. The Patrick Clivert goals to game benchmark. A football advert banned in Denmark. Increasingly tenuous landmarks. Which specific goal was their trademark? And their parallel universe journeyman career arcs. These are the myths and realities of Messi versus Ronaldo. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 205 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me for this very particular episode is Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going? Very well, how are you? I'm alright. Um, listener Alex K. Jelski wrote in oh God. on, on uh, Tuesday evening. He was watching uh, Marseille versus Spurs, the drama unfolding at the Velodrome. And he picked up on a very unimportant point towards the end. Uh, here's Hugo Lloris taking his time over a goal kick. Keeps Marseille alive. <laughs> a you shit hour over in Liga. This is fantastic. <laughs> I didn't notice that at the time. Yeah, mm. lovely. One of our finest exports. Yeah, I hope so. I, maybe it's just a, a human instinct to to match the mm. rhythm of a goal kick with a guttural noise. I, I ran it past French football language expert Tom Williams, and he uh, said that it roughly translates as "heave home, motherfucker." Which I think, if you if we if we bring it back into English, I think is actually more emphatic than your shit hour. Oh, way more. Yeah, implies a lot more going on there. Yeah. Maybe too close to home. Um, I think the your shit at has a sort of pantomime-y feel. Yeah. Whereas that's that's certainly a lot more intimidating. Yeah, maybe you're right. Keep it football, I think is fair. Yeah, just keep it keep it light. Keep it football. That's fine to say. But yeah, we are going to keep it football for this one because joining us on Football Clichés today is the European sports correspondent for the Wall Street Journal and co-author of Messi versus Ronaldo. It's Josh Robinson. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. You are, of course, also, um, along with uh, John Clegg, you are the co-authors of The Club, um, the, the history of the Premier League, which I have to say, I, I'm going to speak on behalf of several dozen feature writers who had to come up with uh, columns about the 30th anniversary of the premier league they're all very grateful for that book uh, and we're very grateful to them Good. for uh <laughs> quoting it abundantly yeah and um, 
what a follow-up. I mean, didn't weren't content with the history of the Premier League, one of the most significant moments in modern European football, really. You decided to take on Messi versus Ronaldo. I mean, are you not busy? Do you not have enough to do at the Wall Street Journal? What's going on? Uh, well, you know, very uh, a sleep schedule that is disrupted, I'll say. Right. And it felt like the natural follow-up. You know, we wrote about the biggest league. Time to write about the biggest players. Good, good. And timely, I suppose. I mean, there couldn't have been a better time to write about this. You, you, you get the sense they're kind of coming to the end of their kind of top-level career. So you've probably hit it just at the right moment, haven't you? Yeah, very much a, a Last Dance vibe. We, we didn't quite have a Dennis Rodman character in this thing, but... <laughs> Mm. <laughs> Who's the we're, nearest? We're open suggestions. Who could Who's be? The nearest? Sergio Ramos? I don't know. S- Sergio Ramos? Yeah, it's like you just let him go to Vegas for three days in the middle of the Champions League and then uh, see what happens. Neymar or Zlatan or yeah, something like true. that. Wild card. Oh, there's, there's, no enough, there's no room for Zlatan in this, uh, in any <laughs> context. But um, Charlie, something dawned on me as I was preparing for this podcast. I, I was watching a 1995 crime thriller, Heat, mm. with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. And uh, I couldn't for the life of me decide whose name should come first when we talk about those two. And I feel like we have the similar issue here. The title of the book is Messi versus Ronaldo. Uh, are you are you happy with that way round? Uh, I mean, yeah. I have thought about it on a subconscious level. I hear Messi and Ronaldo. Okay. But yeah, as you were saying that, Messi and Ronaldo comes more naturally to me than Ronaldo and Messi. How much input did you have in the title, Josh? Uh, 100%. So we decided that the, we, we thought about this long and hard, not just with the title, where we thought the rhythm sounded more natural. Okay. But we also had long discussions about the size of the font on the, t- on the cover, which is not the same. Yeah. Yes. But Ronaldo is, you know, mm. but, you know, Messi has more Ballon d'Ors. Uh, Ronaldo has more letters. Um, I mean, the potential for Ronaldo getting in touch is presumably medium to high. We'll get into that potential <laughs> later on. Uh, but just just to clarify this, just to put this to bed, I put I typed into Google Messi and Ronaldo, and it comes up with 2.8 million hits. Ronaldo and Messi, less than 700,000. So the world is on your side. Mm. So everyone understands that the rhythm of Messi and Ronaldo does work. I, I don't know. A- I guess I've always said, I, maybe I have always said it like that. Uh, should we dwell on this? <laughs> As a society, we've decided that's the correct way around. Fine. I, there'll, there'll be some sort of linguistic cadence experts out there, Charlie, who will say, actually, yes, this is the way it should be done. Do you think it also betrays that more people prefer Messi to Ronaldo to about that ratio that you've just said? Maybe maybe that's unfair on Ronaldo. But um, I feel like he's the more of the two, the, the sort of more likable one to most people. I don't, I don't think he's particularly even... I think it's pretty clear-cut, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's, it, it seems almost taboo to even say it, but it's, it's clearly a preference for Messi. But I'm not really sure where it comes, where, where the land lies with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. I think it's more <laughs> 50-50, I would say. Uh, maybe I, I, some people probably think Pacino's too much, Josh. <laughs> well, people think, you know, Pacino, he's, he, he's done it in multiple leagues, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but De Niro turned his hand to comedy late on, so... That's, that's sort of messy to enter Miami. Yes. I was going to say, yeah, does that tarnish his legacy a little bit? <laughs> what parallels we've drawn so far. But no, let's get stuck into this book. I've picked out about a dozen or so extracts from this piece of work that I think are notable for our purposes. Let's put it this way. I'm fascinated by the backstory of Cristiano Ronaldo on the island of Madeira. He was given a football for for Christmas when he was just three. Now, Josh, this is this is absolutely cast iron childhood backstory material. Um, what would have happened oh. if he hadn't been given a football? And and what about if he hadn't gone to sleep with the football? What if he also wasn't the, clearly the best running rings around other five-year-olds? You know, this is all the classic stuff. And it's why in the book we had to make fun of it as well. This is like Peter Parker getting hmm. bitten by a spider. <laughs> <laughs> 
Charlie, uh, the book says he took it with him to church, to meals, even to bed in the tiny room he shared with his older brother and two sisters. I mean, again, classic. Not being able to be separated from this ball that he loves so much. But what percentage of elite careers do you think owe everything being given a ball for birthdays or Christmas? Now, do bear in mind before you answer this, Charlie, that I got the 1994-95 Premier League official ball for Christmas. And uh, I'm not saying it was a transformative moment, but within 18 months, I was on trial at Swindon Town. So these things things are magical. Wow. Never knew that. Yeah. Uh, Story for another day. Um, (laughs) All right, fine. (laughs) Well, we can get into it now. Messi versus Ronaldo versus (laughs) Harry. Yeah, well, I mean, clearly it, it can have a massive a massive influence. I mean, we don't, I guess the, the problem is, apart from your story just there, we don't really hear about the ones that don't turn into these megastar careers. You know, you kind of think all you need to do is put balls in a cot or whatever and sort of by osmosis it'll make them really good. But it does feel like a sort of necessary first step. I mean, there is, there is a kind of more exotic twist to this start of the tale, Josh. I mean, other than getting a football, uh, a very privileged thing, getting a football for, for Christmas when you're three. If he'd had to make do with a kind of makeshift item, I'd love to have seen Cristiano Ronaldo in an average UK playground kicking around a squashed Coke can. That would have been a real test. How good are you now? Or as I experienced as a kid, it was a we were playing with tennis balls and often playing goal. That's the thing you really don't want to get in the face. But I'm, I'm sure Cristiano could do it with a tennis ball or a squashed Coke can. But the, the challenge he was facing everywhere is, I don't know if you've been to Madeira, but there is not a flat surface on the island. Right. Everything is on a slope. Yeah. And so, you know, one stray touch and you're in the sea. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's problematic. But I get, I mean, what chance that would, what kind that of would improve your touch, that would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Exactly. So I I think we owe it to the Christmas football and the uh, geography of the Mid-Atlantic. We asked our listeners, Charlie, what other mandatory elements of football superstars' childhood backstories (laughs) there are. James Enfield says being ordered by the PE instructor to only play with their weaker foot. Yeah. That's a classic. Didn't hear any of that in the Ronaldo backstory, I have to say. There's often also um, another sport involved. So, you know, actually, okay. Cristiano Ronaldo is a very promising hockey player or, you know, we're, we're there's often this sort of multidisciplinary and the, there was this sort of key moment aged 11 or 12 or 13 where they, they had to choose that. They chose football and the rest is history. Yeah, and Josh, his, his mum wasn't like a promising handball player or anything like that. There's no, there's no genetics at play here either. I think what we're perhaps lacking from the, the Cristiano origin story that would really round it out is that, you know... It, we, we need it sort of early on in the story that he wasn't interested in school. Yeah. You know, all he wanted to do was play football. And, you know, bringing, um, you know, playing with older boys is another big one. You have mm-hmm. to play with the older boys. Yeah, that's a real, that's a real badge of honour right at the early stage. Uh, Luke Tysos agrees with you. He says it's, it's imperative somewhere along the line that their English teacher tells them they'd never be a footballer and to focus on their studies. I mean, that 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 also happens, uh, Josh, at the start of every football movie as well. You're never going to be a footballer. Mm. Go off and be an accountant or something. I don't want to. And uh, yeah, well, that's there. Well, Cristiano had a very Cristiano reaction to a teacher who couldn't quite control him. And, and maybe you're getting there because it's maybe my favourite part of the book. <laughs> it was the teacher who was he felt holding him back so at one point he throws a chair at her <laughs> blimey that's too much if anything charlie that's it, that's wanting it too much yeah you don't often hear about chairs being thrown you might hear that they sort of knew their own mind and they wouldn't be dissuaded but that that's that is extreme another aspect of their kind of coexistence that has always troubled but well, not, not really troubled me but got me thinking was the perceived lack of personality of Lionel Messi which I I think is quite a harsh way of putting it Um, as one Nike executive put it in 2006 imagine how much trouble we had been in if Messi had a personality (laughs) quite a cutting way of putting it but 
Is it how much of that is do you think is actually true, or is it just a case of his his just sort of reluctance to really go out there and and be a Ronaldo type figure? I think in two thousand six it was definitely true. Um, mm. You know, many of his of his teammates at La Masia when he got to Barcelona genuinely thought he was mute and they had never heard him speak. And then when he did speak, he had this thick Argentine accent, mm. which of course, as twelve year old boys, they ripped him mercilessly for. Right. And so yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of exuberance there as a uh, as an eighteen year old. It, maybe more came later. Certainly once he was sending bureau faxes and things. And Ronaldo got bullied for his Madeira accent, of course. That's when it. He was at sporting. Both outsiders. There's a parallel Mm. situation going on. I don't know, Charlie, call this Anglophone ignorance. But is Lionel Messi the most famous sports person ever whose voice you simply cannot hear in your head. Yeah, I was thinking about this. And actually, and I don't know if you've watched, there's a, there's a documentary on Messi on BBC at the moment as a kind of World Cup thing. And I realised, I was like, I've never, ever... I think when he joined PSG, maybe he did little bits, but I, I could not tell you anything he's ever said. And it really occurred to me watching that documentary that I just, I have no idea of what he sounds like. Absolutely none. And not just that, Josh, but we're pretty thin on kind of memorable public statements from Messi at all. I mean, there was a, the hoo-ha about his move from Barcelona to, to PSG where he made a couple of quite emotional-ish statements. He cried in public too. But I don't think we're ever going to see a dubiously sourced inspirational quote on Facebook attributed to <laughs> Lionel Messi, which I think is the hallmark of true stardom, frankly. Well, you do. So you do see them, but they're they're completely false. And, you know, in, in researching the book and spending the past two years on this, you know, I wound up uh, following a number of these bot accounts that just tweet like every achievement and every fake yeah. quote about them you know and then mm. they're really exceptional because some of them will be like Messi is clearly better than Ronaldo and it's you know some b-list teammate who who clearly never said these words or speaks English or anything mm. else and it's it's really quite toxic and I'm very excited to unfollow all of those now that the book is done but even Charlie even if you even if you sort of plucked the you know the most ridiculous quote out of the air some sort of complicated metaphor or something I don't know playing football is like being a butterfly sometimes you just have to open your wings and show your colours or something like that uh, that's conceivably something he could have said to Champions League Weekly anyway so it's fine <laughs> the sweet spot will be a messy quote about Paul Scholes <laughs> Th- then we know he's made it him saying that actually the best player I ever played against was Paul Scholes. Yes, well, yes. And, and you have to run it through the Champions League weekly uh, translation machine. Yes. Which will then sort of attribute a word that he would never say. We must respect our opponents. They have great perspicacity. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. The, the next... Um I feel almost inevitable aspect of Ronaldo's early years was uh, when he left his his home proper hometown club Andorinha to join the kind of bigger club on on the island of Nacional and uh, the transfer fee was uh, two seasons worth of kit and training equipment. This is cast mm. iron origin story stuff. It reminds me of um, Tony Cascarino and the and the alleged fee of corrugated iron to move to Gillingham. <laughs> Uh, which, which I'm fascinated by, and I've mentioned on the podcast before, but I re- wish was true, and I don't think it is. But um, but yeah, that's that's. I mean, is that a fair fee? <laughs> Looking back, did they say he's paid back a huge chunk of that transfer fee after his uh, <laughs> after his first sleeves. goal? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to know how many uh, how many 
training kits uh, George Mendez has claimed in arrears. But, you know, in terms of having the ultimate origin story, it's Cristiano is so obsessed with his own achievements. It makes sense to me that he would also have the absolute Ballon d'Or of origin stories. Oh, I thought you were going to say there that he'd want those included on his total transfer fees on transfer marks or something. <laughs> so that, oh, you know, almost he, certainly. He wants, yeah, he's, he's like, no, I also have those kits. Can they be added to the hundreds of millions, please? Charlie, are you suggesting that Cristiano Ronaldo scours transfer marked to make sure that his transfer fees are correct? That wouldn't be for me to say. Josh, please expand. Well... Cristiano apparently does have some time on his hands between the ice baths and the other ice baths and the uh, massages and everything else. And he does scour Transfermarkt. And in fact, we we spoke to a couple of Transfermarkt editors who received, after they posted uh, his, I think it was a couple seasons ago, they posted his transfer value. Right. And Cristiano apparently felt it was quite low and wrote to them directly on Instagram. They they had a very brief exchange of emojis and were promptly blocked. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I would do this. I I would want to question Transfermark's algorithm, Charlie. I think it's a fair thing to ask. I don't think this is, this is not an ego out of control. I think it's someone who's probably quite curious about how it all works. It's so good. It's so on brand. Yeah, Um, yeah, no, a genuine curiosity. He just really wanted to get that breakdown. I I love that. It's like that Courtois thing where he got really upset about that throwaway listicle that didn't have him the best what was it he wasn't in the top five goalkeepers in the world or something exactly. and that was his that was his fuel to win the champions league i think it's great if you're going to be egotistical josh it's good to go to a real granular level with it um you know it's 100 percent commitment mm. the ways the same mm. way cristiano does everything you have to uh, it's also probably about the attention span that uh that many sort of footballers have you know they're not going to dive into you know the middle paragraphs of a vanity fair profile but transfer mark one number you agree with it or you don't this this particular dynamic of his early years at sporting i feel like is a kind of reversal of of how this normally works i've never seen a player so emphatically outgrow their early aspirational nickname he was he was called clivert by the academy kids at sporting seems quite an unusual thing to attribute was clivert that big enough to to use as a as a nickname i'm surprised yeah well you know it's for the late 90s that is uh that's quite a reference and you know if you're thinking about finishers which ronaldo undoubtedly was in the youth teams at sporting that that would be sort of a you know it would be easy for everyone to be like oh he's like maradona or eusebio if you're growing up in portugal but i I feel like clivert speaks to a real like football insidery football thing it's like mm, actually he reminds me a bit more you could say van basten but no clivert is the one yeah i loved this i found this so fat like clivert because i mean i loved clivert i thought he was an amazing footballer but it it, do- it feels so um discerning to be making this comparison and i don't know is it a natural one i mean clivert clivert we, we think of a young Ronaldo as being very skillful and showboaty. I mean, Clivert was very elegant, very technical. But yeah, I wouldn't have thought it's a kind of natural comparison. I also, Clivert, this is one of my favorite, this is from Michael Cox, but always blows my mind. Maybe, well, you, uh, it won't with you. But you know, him and Ruud van Nistelrooy are exactly the same age to the day. I think of those two, Clivert and van Nistelrooy, as being different like years. different generations. Yeah, yeah. Almost. They're exactly the same you age. Have, you've blown my mind there. That You're like, it's like saying Mozart and David Getter are the same age. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly the same. It's exactly, exactly the same. Exactly the same. I'm surprised by Charlie's passion for Patrick Clivert, quite frankly. I, I didn't think of him as that historically memorable, but each to their own. The book starts then starts to sort of touch on how Messi and Ronaldo's growing reputations dovetail with the kind of increasing 
commercialisation of football, especially when Nike get involved, Josh. One of their infamous adverts was the Good versus Evil, where they hired the special effects crew from Apollo 13, I didn't know this, to create an army of undead soccer demons. And uh, quite a lot of people remember this advert, but what I didn't know about it, Josh, is it was banned from cinemas in Denmark. <laughs> Why? Well, you know, promoting uh, Satanism, the the undead, and um, oh, okay. generally traumatizing the youth, I think. Oh, I thought it was just inaccurate depictions of football. <laughs> um, <laughs> in, actually, inaccurate depictions of demons. Yeah, true. Um, famously not good at football. Now, their commercial activity kind of mushroomed from here, Charlie, especially when Nike and Adidas got their claws into, into the pair of them. But Ronaldo's commercial activity in particular seems to be almost undiscerning, I think is the best way to put it, Charlie. <laughs> he's, he's endorsed some absolutely absurd things. I mean, first of all, Egyptian Steel, uh, where he infamously tweeted. I mean, his Twitter account is obviously absurd anyway. Uh, it's just a complete nonsense. But he tweeted, have you ever related steel to eco-friendly? I did. That's why I partnered with the most safety-orientated steel brand. Hashtag Egyptian Steel. <laughs> of him walking around a, a steel mill with a with a hard hat on, he just doesn't care, does he? And he, he, why would you? Yeah, I mean, he was quite prominent. I remember on the, ad, the episode we did on footballers and adverts. I mean, he's just the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. He does all sorts. I mean, I guess once you go down that rabbit hole, you do stop caring. And also, a lot of them are in countries where you maybe you hope that people you you know a lot of people you know won't see them necessarily, and they can kind of go under the radar. Obviously, in the age we live in, that's never going to happen. As Michael Owen knows only too well. Yeah, that's right. Does it did it get any weirder than Egyptian steel, Josh? Egyptian steel was really the uh, the pinnacle for us. But okay. you know, it's what's amazing about Ronaldo's popularity, and it is very much that kind of lost in translation thing of, you know, A-listers doing ads in Japan that they hope will never come back to yes. uh, to Europe or America. But he did, um, he's so popular that he was able to do ads for, I believe, a Saudi uh, cell phone provider and an Israeli streaming service. Cristiano Ronaldo brings peace to the Middle East. I was going to say, yeah, you could, you could be really glib about this and say like he's bringing, he's bringing, he's doing like a Rocky Four kind of situation, bringing, bringing kind of territory together. That that's really not what's happening here. He just doesn't I, give a shit, does he? No, I, yeah, I don't think anyone in Israel is watching uh, Saudi cell phone provider ads and thinking, wow, Chris really does make you think. <laughs> Disappointed though that you thought Egyptian Steel was the pinnacle because for me, and I know we've reviewed we're going to revisit this but it is Singapore based e-commerce portal Shopee here's the clip Shopee Shopee go Shopee buy everything ding 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 super shopping day Shopee 99 super shopping day with 10% cash back buy everything at Shopee now Josh, maybe we should give him not the benefit of the doubt here, but it seems too easy to take the piss out of this. I think I think it, it's not just a case of thick skin. He knows it's silly and he's getting paid for it nonetheless. I'm, I mean, it's for me, the most upsetting part of that is the apparent degradation of his English, which is <laughs> mm. normally quite decent. Yeah. And uh, it's it falling does, apart there. It um, does sound like he's never really spoken English before there. Yeah, he's learned it from a book and never then had to use it. Um, but for me, what this lacks is hard hats. The, the hard hat just makes it in the Egyptian steel ad. Charlie, imagine you're a, you're a jobbing actor and a Singapore advertising agency calls you up and says, uh, would you mind being a referee? <laughs> you know, you, you're going to have to show Cristiano Ronaldo a, a rather abstract ambiguous looking card orange card up for it <laughs> well what i always think about that i mean in, in the scenario you're painting is that they've been offered it but it might have gone to an audition and so there might have been people we think about god imagine doing that role there might have been people who didn't get that role yeah. Not like, oh, how'd it looking go? Enough. like yeah i just i really wanted it mm. just didn't didn't happen i mean mm. that's 
he's got to live with that the rest of his life. I know. What might have been. Yeah, it's a real sliding doors moment for those guys. Um, Back speaking- auditioning for linesman rules. <laughs> God, plumbing the depths there. Um, speaking of cynical product endorsements, um, we are going on the road, of course, football cliches. Uh, we'll be in London on the 8th of November, but that's sold out. So you can't come to that. You can come to see us in Manchester on the 15th at the New Century Hall or in Dublin on the 16th at the Liberty Hall Theatre. Tickets still available for that. So you go to myticket.co.uk or just Google Football Clichés Live and we'll see you there. Hello, I'm Taylor Payne, host of the Athletics Newcastle United podcast, Pod on the Time. Aren't we having a jolly old time of it right now? Join me and the Athletics dynamic duo of Geordie Riders, George Corgan and Chris Woff every week. We'll bring you all the insight and analysis you need on the Mighty Magpies and probably some you don't as well. Follow and subscribe to Pod on the Time wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Okay, welcome back to Football Clichés. We're here with Josh Robinson, co-author of the new book, Messi versus Ronaldo. And um, a real time, appropriate time, Charlie, for us to take an overview of this, frankly, absurd, almost unprecedented and unrepeatable situation of two absurd footballers being at their peak at exactly the same time. Do you think it will ever happen again? Because we are almost obliged at the moment to say, well, it's going to be Haaland and Mbappe. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think it's destined to necessarily happen like that. No, I don't think so. I think, I mean, it's rare. It's so rare that it's ever happened before. There's little reason to suggest it will happen again. I mean, maybe there's something in the fact that when you have you see this in other sports when you've got someone so good and someone else comes on, they raise each other's levels and they keep going up and up and up. So that is clearly a phenomenon. So, you know, maybe Haaland won't have it all his own way and someone will. 
kind of step up but I don't think to this extent and also because they just everything they represent and the sort of fandom mm. uh, that they inspire I think it, it feels uh, like something unique because what I mean what's what's the closest that's come before to to two individual players I mean Maradona didn't really have a rival did he nor did Pele a contemporary rival Pele and Cruyff but they, they never really sort of intertwined narratively mm. did they no it's true but one of the strands running through all of this Josh is that there's this need to kind of compare them and also how they sort of interchange in terms of what they win and their, their fortunes seem to kind of just about coexist quite nicely it's never necessarily at the other one's expense so it's quite evenly shared the accolades the plaudits and that sort of except in one instance the winner of the Globe Soccer Award Player of the Year. 2011, Cristiano Ronaldo. 2014, Cristiano Ronaldo. 2015, Lionel Messi. 2016, Cristiano Ronaldo. 2017, Cristiano Ronaldo. 2018, Cristiano Ronaldo. 2019, Cristiano Ronaldo. What's going on there? Um, I think if you look at one of the parallel awards award, uh, given out at that at that uh, event, you'll yep. understand a lot more. And that would be Agent of the Year. <laughs> and Georges Mendes is, I mean, dominates it in a way that you know is is really incomparable because they, they, I believe they also awarded Cristiano a, a player of the century and we're not even a quarter of the way through it. <laughs> M- Mendes also winning agent of the century which That's right. has to be by a country mile the most ridiculous award ever awarded in any sphere. That is amazing to 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 have called the century already. Um, not even century so far. Just no, no, nothing's nothing's going to be better. No agent's going to be better in the next seventy-eight years. Uh, that th- these these absurd Dubai-based awards are still going. The twenty twenty-two ceremony is almost upon us. There, uh, the TikTok fans player of the year, various various mainstream-sounding awards. But then we get down to the power horse emerging player of the year. Um, <laughs> lots of very solid up-and-coming names there. President of the Year, Sporting Director of the Year. How, how modern, Charlie, is that? Yeah. Oh, God. God, the whole thing's so cynical. Agent Technical of the Director of the Year. Uh, Georges Mendes nominated again, Josh, for Agent of the Year. What a year he's had. I mean, and fair play to him. It's, uh, you know, good for him. He's, he's out there grinding all the time and trying to get better. Also, Josh, you seem to, you suggest in the book Ronaldo actually goes to this awards. Is that is that right? Yes, so yes. He goes to Dubai great. for... To, to be that he's a very big fan of the Emirates and in fact they gave him a gold card uh, issued by the state which is a long-term visa and he's allowed to do business there at least it's a meaningful prize it's not just some other bauble or trinket mm. just give him citizenship sure oh, or f- freedom of the city <laughs> yeah you could yeah drive your uh, cattle through Abu Dhabi whenever <laughs> you like I mean I mean who's your tip for football esports player of 2022 I mean it has to be uh, surely it has to be stingray Jr or Tex. Doesn't it, Charlie? Well, let's stop comparing them. That's all I ask. <laughs> yeah. Best football journalist um, is, is absolutely um, fascinating shortlist. Uh, James Richardson up for the award. Tifo Football. Uh, Jamie Carragher's podcast, but not Jamie Carragher himself. A bunch of very solid journalists. Fabrizio Romano and esteemed football podcast, The Football Ramble. What, what an absurd shortlist of... What, what are they trying to achieve here? I don't know. The Globe Soccer Awards. Not, not that I'm not bitter to be... A come and get me, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> If, if, you know, we'll happily come to Dubai if, if you want us. Yeah. Um, and Chris, Cristiano will definitely be disappointed that he hasn't been nominated in every category. Mm. <laughs> I wonder how good he actually is at football computer games. I'm sure he's... Uh, I mean, Messi had a history of uh, sort of PlayStation-related tensions, didn't he, Josh? Yeah, that's right. Um, especially as they travelled around, you know, with the, the 
all-conquering Barcelona youth team. They would uh, always have a PlayStation with them. And he uh, he was a famous rage quitter. Oh, really? Uh. I can see that because he's uh, that makes so much more sense in terms of their sort of disparate personalities. Is Ronaldo lets it all out, all for show, almost to an absurd extent. But Messi seems much more internal with his mm. angst. And the idea of sort of rage quitting a computer game and sort of throwing a controller across the room, Charlie, makes way more sense for Messi than it would Ronaldo, actually. Yeah, I know what you mean. And it's one of the, I'm sure it was justified as, yeah, but you, you know, you want your players to be disappointed when they lose at FIFA. Mm. I'd, I'd be angry if he wasn't throwing his controller across the room. Now, I feel like I've pinpointed the moment in the book Josh, where you and John kind of realised that the tables have completely flipped, that they have outgrown the sports so much to the point where the sport can't contain them anymore. And there's this frustration, presumably from non-football people, that Ronaldo and Messi simply don't play each other enough to, to kind of milk the rivalry. And that's where it kind of starts to betray the spirit of football a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, when you think about it, they've only been on the same pitch maybe three dozen times in their career. Yeah. Uh, I think it's something like 33 and, you know, in other great sports rivalries like Roger and Rafa in tennis or Bird and Magic in the NBA, you know, playoff formats and life on the tennis circuit mean that you get dozens of time of occasions to actually compare them one to the other. We had this frantic period of Classicos where we got them four or five times a year, but that was about it. So for the rest, we just have our imaginations uh, yeah. to, to sort of keep us company in this debate. But yeah, a lot of people quite rightly realized, hang on, we can make a lot of money if we can just get them in the same place more often. And that was the uh, that was the extensive discussion of the All-Star game that nearly happened. Mm. Oh, really? A British financier was trying to put it together uh, for 2017 at Wembley, a sort of Team Cristiano versus Messi mm. FC, where they would each pick a number of their friends and uh, have a <laughs> giant kickabout in, in Wembley Stadium. Yep. But it's the appetite appeared to be there from both camps yeah. um, until, of course, Florentino got involved and said, oh, by the way, if we're going to release Real Madrid players, it's going to cost you £20 million. It's, just, it's so, so dispiriting, the whole thing, Charlie. Actually, my, my, my ears glazed over by hearing it. Actually, the whole thing was so, <laughs> so just so terrible. Soccer aid on speed. I mean, I, I would, I would watch it. Obviously, they're like the select. They could, they could make a massive event of it. Like the whole selection process would be kind of amazing. And if there were players who they both wanted and they had to choose, like on the voice, if a judge wants, you know, there there are lots of judges bidding for them. That would be amazing if they went to a certain player and he had to choose Messi or Ronaldo. That would that would be better who, who than would the Ballon d'Or. Be actually. who would that player be that both teams would want him? That's a good question. I mean, is there someone they've both? Played who, with. Who sits I mean, so nicely in between it? That's a very good question, actually. I mean, historically, I think someone like Deco would would know them both, would have played with them both a bunch. Maybe making up for this, you know, frustration in the mid 2010s that they weren't playing each other enough. Um, I can tell you, exclusive. Well, not exclusively, but I can reveal a supercomputer has crunched the numbers, and it says that Lionel Messi will meet Cristiano Ronaldo <coughs> in the World Cup final in 2022. I mean, we talk a lot on this podcast, Charlie, about things you could and couldn't script. I mean, they would script mm, this. Yeah. And it would be, I, I, think it, I think it would be quite underwhelming. But, the, but nonetheless, the supercomputer has crunched the numbers and they are destined to meet in the final of the World Cup, apparently. So, but I mean, I mean, in a really cheesy narrative sense, that ticks that box. But I think, I think we're, all ready, we're all, surely we can stomach one more twist and what are we kind of constructed as their rivalry in a team sport? Yeah, I definitely would like to see that. Whether I'd run it as the final 
that might be too much but it would certainly be amazing i mean it'd be interesting to see where from a media point of view where the preview goes with that i'd quite like to see you know argentina are playing portugal i'd quite like you know one well, let's just completely ignore that and go for some really obscure other subplot because that really would be all anyone would care about the international game josh there's there's so much potential left for that rivalry to blossom because Real Madrid and Barcelona got done to death the Clasico in the 2010s but um, Argentina and Portugal of course have never played each other in a World Cup like I mean the their international rivalry has never ever got going has it and, and just think of all the Wikipedia pages that we could all be on in uh, in mid December thinking trying to find obscure trade agreements and possible conflicts between these countries <laughs> to bring up you know the, will that motivate you yeah. Um, speaking of convoluted agreements, um, I feel like a week never goes by, Josh, that we don't see a new landmark being set by Messi and Ronaldo. There, I feel like there's a whole industry now cornered by coming up with the latest landmark for one of them to achieve. Because no matter how you slice their careers, total senior goals, club career goals, Champions League goals, there's always something that they, they're on the on the cusp of achieving. They're always on 99 of a certain 100 every week. It's um, it's fascinating that it still keeps going. Someone somewhere is is, is raking it in just on landmarks alone. Yeah, the, the Messi and Ronaldo counters, and we thank them for their work. Mm. Um, one thing, I think my favourite one that's come up this season was... You know, in in many of the narratives about how Cristiano Ronaldo is upset at Man United, you know, the one thing that he really can't stomach this year is that Messi will break his record for goals in the Champions League group stage. (laughs) I couldn't even tell you what that number is. I have no idea. Neither do I, but it feels like, you know, six would be quite good. Mm. (laughs) This is definitely a real, um, yeah, one of the lads mentioned it to me in the changing rooms beforehand, isn't it, Charlie? (laughs) That, yeah. I mean, I can see the the goals, the Champions League overall one, that. That's obviously a biggie, but I think he's... Surely Raul's still number one, right? Yeah, Raul, Raul's still still there. Um, still number one. Doesn't matter how many he got. He's still number one. Um, group stage is amazing. I mean, he must have so many of those in his head mm. that he must be aware of those slightly granular, obscure records. Um, skirting very close to mainstream Messi and Ronaldo chat here, Josh. But if you look at the numbers, however you slice them, since about 2011, we've been kind of forced to reassess what constitutes a, a good goal-scoring record. You know, back in the day, it used to be one in two used to be the aim for a goal scorer. That's all gone out the window and it's down to basically those two. I can't think of anybody else who's contributed to that ratio being completely flipped on his head. I, I don't know what to make of a good goal scoring record anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that if you don't score 70 a season, you're just hmm. not very good. Hmm. It's uh, That is the benchmark. And it was it, the, there's a sort of serious point in there, and um, which is that the, the dueling philosophies of the Premier League and La Liga uh, around that time um, you know, the Premier League was very much a kind of any given Saturday league. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what makes it great, you know. But with La Liga, it's if you tune into this, you're going to see Messi bang in four and mm-hmm. Chris is going to bang in five tomorrow. It's like that's what people want to see. They want fireworks all the time mm. for those two guys. They don't want, you know, a hard fought nil nil between mm. eight between Elche and Real Madrid. Just, I just feel bad, Charlie, for the kind of modest 18 goal Premier League halls of the of the late 90s. It's just, they they don't look so impressive now. It's a real shame. They used to be quite a good good little tally. Or Patrick Cliver. I mean, he was very much a, uh, you know, he he might get, when he was at Barcelona, he signed for them. It was a big deal. And he, you know, I think he was, uh, he would aim for about one and two. And that felt like, oh, this guy's, this guy's properly elite. Okay, but funnily enough, 
Charlie, maybe this this vindicates your childhood fetish for Patrick Clivert because his record at Ajax, 101 games, 53 goals. And his 2001-2002 season at Barcelona, 50 games, 25 goals. Oh. The archetypal one-in-two man. Absolutely love it. And he was an 18 league goals a season guy. And it was like, it was great. It was all you needed. I didn't know he was that prolific. But my my crosshairs for what constitutes a good goal scoring season are completely off. So fine. Happy with that. Okay, so if, if, if we take their 1,648 senior goals, all competitions, club and country, I'm, I'm not... I'm not drilling down into the data too far at all. If we, if we can kind of condense them all into one single goal that kind of represents them most effectively, Josh, what what in your head is a textbook Lionel Messi goal? As many commentators let's say, he's rewritten the textbook, hasn't he? Right. But the he is the textbook. He is the textbook. But the the one against Getafe. Oh, really? Which is the the Maradona one is for me the the ultimate Messi one, and for you know it was also one of the early viral goals. Yes. Um, you know, that was from suddenly everyone had seen that, you know, in a way that I don't think uh, anyone watched any of Maradona's Napoli goals over and over around the world. But yeah, that, that for me, that's the one just because it's he's doing things that many players just can't imagine. Interesting. I, I, I mean, it's his best goal. Presume, I mean, a lot of people would say it's his best goal. Show. Is it his most representative goal in my head and uh, several other good, listeners? Yeah. It's an okay. important distinction. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I, there was an overwhelming consensus amongst our listeners for what was the textbook Lionel Messi goal, which was the sort of raiding in from the right-hand side, swapping a very, very efficient one-two. This is exactly what I was thinking. One-two, yeah. Which I don't really, you don't really see anybody else do, but it makes so much sense. To the point where it dawned on me in the school dad's five-a-side the other day that I thought this is such an easy way for someone who can't be asked to run to get the ball upfield. Just shove it up to someone and then everybody else who you're playing against can't be bothered to run after you. Just, just take the one-two and that's it. That's it. You're through. Um, so Lionel Messi would be a hit at the school dad's father's side. <laughs> on, on the return from the one-two, he will then dummy to shoot and in so doing drop his shoulder, move past someone and then pa- almost in the same movement then just pass it with his left foot yes. into the corner. Which corner? Um, so he's if he's coming in from the right, he plays the one-two, gets it back to him. He's then dumbing towards the box. He then strokes it, goalkeeper's right. So it's almost so... Yeah, his left. Yeah, he's tuck, just he's just stroking pass. it the way he's moved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's in my mind's eye what I see. I would just add that he has to nearly fall over once or appear to. Right. Um. And you know maybe like seem like he's ducking under a player. You know, an elbow flying, and he's just like underneath it. So Cristiano Ronaldo, I think. In terms of his textbook goal, Charlie, it's it's nowhere near as clear-cut. There isn't a vivid image in my head. If we went for a header, which he is obviously very famed for, his heading ability, his his leap, but it also feels like a waste to, to choose a header. Yeah, he's got a few. I, mean, I guess because he scores so many. I mean, obviously Messi does as well. Mm. I mean, yeah, there, there is point. the header. I do... Um, yeah, don't, don't want to get into that <laughs> argument. Um, there is... you know, And, and this sounds like I'm denigrating him, but I... He scores a lot of tappings. Mm. One that, that finished with absolute aplomb, you know, completely decisively. I see that one as what well, the low drilled effort from you know earlier on when he would cut in from the left and and sort of just smash one often at the goalkeeper's near post. Yeah. Uh, and for some people, it'll be free kicks, which I know the numbers will say is is ludicrous because he doesn't actually score that many. But I can forgive that. Yeah, the ones he has scored are pretty memorable. Mm. Maybe we need to kind of pin down a certain era of his career for yeah. this job, Josh. Like, there is there a certain 
part of his career where he was scoring a very very similar goal over and over again yeah I think I think for me it was the sort of early 2010s Real Madrid and it, it's very much the just running straight at the goal as uh, you know Di Maria or eventually Bale uh, uh, sort of beats a couple of hapless defenders on the wing and then it's it's running straight at goal and then just sweeping in the uh, the tap in but you know again a very technically difficult tap in one of my favorite little bits in the book that pops up every now and then is that you and John are very aware of the of the debate that swirls around both of those players for the last 15 years or so and you and I'm bound to kind of enjoy this proportionally more than the rest of it because you've talked about how there are, there are little caveats that people employ about how Messi needs to prove himself at another club. Ronaldo only scores penalties. Messi is a fraud. Ronaldo's a bad teammate. Messi's a choker. And this whole point that we could, why can't we just appreciate two of the greatest players of all time while they're still here? Do, do, would you would you agree that it's possibly one of the most vacuous observations in football history? This idea that we should just enjoy them both. I mean, it, it is it is meaningless. Why should we? Why should we enjoy them? I mean, why why limit ourselves there? Why not enjoy all footballers at this? You know, they're all here <laughs> right now in this era. So yeah. it's you know we we can enjoy all of them equally. But that's not really the point of sports. Mm. Point of sports is comparison all the time. Yeah, I think it's fine. I, th- I, I I'm that's struggling. why we have scores. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right, Charlie. I mean, it's it's become it's kind of a it's a line that's become kind of lampooned and memeified. For good reason, isn't it? Because I don't think anybody of any right mind really wants to dwell on that point. Well, I think it's probably one of those things that there was a moment in the distant past where it was a fairly insightful thing to say because the argument was overshadowing everything and to the point maybe where actually we were focusing too much on their negatives to try and build up the other. So there would have been a point where it was... Uh, where it had some value obviously then it just became a I'm going to say this to try and sound contrary and clever mm. but by then we, we'd very much move past that um, so yeah for, to, to come out and say something like it now is like pretty trite oh, we've yeah. moved on I mean to, to attempt to become quite postmodern about it maybe we should enjoy that debate while we still have it because both players are kind of moving into their final acts Josh Messi kind of cruising at PSG almost effortless um, I, I wouldn't even call it an Indian summer it's just it's almost like in, in the nicest possible way he's found his level at 35 and is sort of producing the football um, in a very comfortable environment. Ronaldo, on the other hand, is sort of toiling and Manchester United, to put it mildly. What do they do next? Well, what's, what's the logical next step for both of them? I, th- I think for at least one of them, and at the moment it looks more like Messi, you know, a trip to MLS makes a lot of sense yep. um, because Messi has sort of realised in the only recently that he's also quite a powerful commercial entity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is the guy who used to wear jean shorts uh, <laughs> to appearances and then signed for PSG and thought, oh, actually, I've got a Dior endorsement now. So, yeah. you know, he's really trying to, he's cashing in while he's still got the time. And, yeah, and is, MLS is the perfect place to do that. You know, for Cristiano, it's it's harder to say because I don't I don't see them becoming pundits. I don't see them becoming coaches in a way where they suddenly have to speak all the time even if it is i think inevitable that messi will be pressed into service by the nation at some point Mm. to coach argentina yeah out of the Uh, blue like out of nowhere almost yeah exactly yeah i can see see that happening but it it doesn't seem a stretch charlie to, to think that they don't have the inner will the financial need or the kind of reputational desire to go on to be managers. It, I mean, we, we've established many times in this podcast that it's a complete ball ache to be a proper football manager. Why would either of them want to do it? No, I agree. I think I can way more imagine them 
I can see them at a Champions League draw, you know, just being wheeled out. I wasn't and, you know, sure about and, that and either. It feels like it's I, not big time I, enough for them. I know what you mean, but I think not straight away, but I think partly out of boredom. <laughs> I would be like, oh, you know, I'm sort of here anyway. I'll do it. You know, it's like Cristiano Ronaldo who mm. scored X amount of goals. Like I can just sort of see him, maybe less so Messi, because Messi seems to genuinely not really like the limelight because Cristiano Ronaldo they could promise him you'll get to the draw we'll do a five minute montage you know really drawn out of all your finest achievements I think that would play to his ego enough that he could do it I, I can I can imagine Josh Messi fiddling around with the plastic balls and sort of humbly um, doing his job there but I, I what I cannot imagine for worse second is Cristiano Ronaldo sharing a stage with Pedro Pinto those two mammoth personalities cannot share the same physical space I mean two of possibly the most famous Portuguese people ever to exist. <laughs> but the, no, I just can't imagine Cristiano, as you say, fiddling with the, the plastic balls or being instructed to, and now we need one from pot C. Yeah. Give them a good stir. Ronaldo being forced to sort of do one of the more administrative pot selections, like who's going to play at home on a Wednesday or something like that. Sod that. Even I don't care about that. Okay. And remember, Cristiano, there are some permutations that you need to respect. <laughs> Fuck off. Having to pause while, they, while that... Other bloke explains it. Terrible. Awful. I feel bad for him almost in a way. Okay, so so if we've if we've mapped out the final chapter of their careers, I want to take you on a separate journey here. And we asked our listeners about this as well. This is Messi and Ronaldo's career paths as a whole, but if they've been half as good. So <laughs> sort of average Messi and Ronaldo's career trajectories. I'll, I'll kick you off with Messi. This is my this is how I envisage it, Charlie. Uh, still at Barcelona as a youth, but doesn't make a First team appearance. Moves to Inter um, for a sort of change of scenery to see if he can kickstart things. Immediately gets chucked out to Genoa on loan. Uh, West Ham swoop in the sort of um, late 2000s to kind of see if they can drag some of this elite level talent out of this starlet. Doesn't work. Besiktas, Al Garafa in Qatar. And then back to Newell's <laughs> old boys where belatedly... Uh, sort of 32-33, he wins the Copa Libertadores. And uh, and, and, it, and it, the, the stories are, your Tim Vickery's of this world talk about how this talent really has finally flourished. Uh, and, and, and it's justified all the hype that, that came about 15 the, years before. The a slow burner mm. that he did eventually get his... Yeah, I think that's really... I mean, I'm imagining, because the La Masaya, the start, I'm imagining someone of like the level of like Mikel Arteta, one of those you know, that kind of level player who clearly was great in his youth, but he's not one of the sort of elite Barcery mm. players. So yeah, imagine Messi kind of pitching up at Everton or <laughs> somewhere like that. Maybe Rangers. Uh, oh, yeah, when Rangers, is this a complete, this is this complete rubbish that Rangers were once linked with signing Lionel Messi? Uh, I've never heard that, but that sounds so crazy for you to have made up that I'm going to believe it. Let me Google it for a second. It was McLeish, wasn't it? Lucretia really? Messi and Rangers. This wasn't in the book, was it? That's another book in itself. <laughs> Alex yeah, McLeish once tried to sign the... Lionel Messi as a replacement for Barry Ferguson during his time at Rangers. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's just absurd. Different profiles. Different yeah. profiles. <laughs> it's in the next one. Right, okay, Josh. Uh, this is from uh, listener Wengerbrawl, who offers this career path, this alternative career path for an average Lionel Messi. Barcelona, Roma, Milan on loan, back to Barcelona, Ajax on loan, Stoke City... Mainz, Alaves, Montreal Impact, Vissel Kobe. That's a lot of moves. He's he's had a almost Rivaldo run there at the end mm. where, uh, you know, ba Japan, definitely. I'm not so sure about the, the Alaves bit, but, um, you know, I, I do appreciate the uh, the bouncing around Italy. That feels very on brand for a 50% Lionel Messi. Well, I can tell you that is the career That was path. Bojan. That was a career That's path Bojan. of a certain Bojan yes. Kukic. 
<laughs> I, thought, I said, that feels very Bojan. And then you said Stoke. I was like, that's got to be Bojan. Yeah. But I think we've got we've got the messy, the, the uh, poor man's messy vibe just about right here. Mm. Let's move on to Ronaldo. Charlie, just uh, just to kick things off, I have a kind of parallel universe in mind where he does a D on Dublin and has a season at centre-back. Wow, yeah. But I just don't, yeah, I don't think the, uh, the the Continentals really have this in them. But uh, if, <laughs> you know, if, he, if he played in England for long enough, I think he would, he would do a stint. Would he do a stint or would they just talk about it as a possible fit <laughs> in the way that gets taught, you know, that he's so good in the air. Why couldn't he do a job as a centre-back? <laughs> so you tend to do that more about defenders who could be midfielders, don't you? Okay, I'll, I'll meet you halfway. He'll play there in an emergency for like 20 minutes at the end of a very important game and he'll be really earnest about it, sort of pointing everywhere and saying that. Like, yeah, Because he's yeah. doing the act of a centre-half, like you did in that nine-side game where you completely lost your uh, ability to function um how about this josh uh, collins t26 writes and says i've never been sure of anything in my life than semi-skimmed ronaldo would have enjoyed multiple spells in the turkish super league and been one of the marquee signings for the ill-fated andy makachkala project before running out his career scoring 19 in 52 games for sporting going back to sp- on a semi-serious note going back to sporting does does feel like something that he ought to be doing before he retires. Yeah, it's the sort of emotional return once you've run out of options, which which I think would be very on brand for him, you know, and they do give him opportunities to score more group stage goals in the Champions League. So it's it seems like if I were the agent of the century, I'd be recommending that. <laughs> or he'd go full, full homecoming and go back to Angerina and uh, they have to pay back the tracksuits from 20 years ago. Sorry, lads, you know, that's that's football. That's transactions. Andrew Howe Ely writes in, Charlie, with this parallel career path of Ronaldo. Sporting, Barcelona, Porto, Inter Milan, Chelsea on loan, Besiktas, Al-Akli, Porto, Besiktas, Kashim Pasha, and Vittoria Guimaraes. Is that charisma? It bloody well like is. Charisma. <laughs> I'm glad we did uh, this. I'm glad we did yeah. this. It's a nice little twist. It's worth doing. That is good. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's funny because he was thought, you know, charisma, obviously, he, he became a bit of a novelty act, didn't he, with that like outside of the boot trick that he had. And there was a period where I felt like Ronaldo would be a kind of slight novelty show pony, obviously, the word that was always used about him. Uh, and then obviously became a kind of efficient machine. But yeah, that does that does sound like a good, but, a good solid career path. Interestingly, charisma was the other kid at Sporting Lisbon at the yeah. same time right? And yeah. when when Ferguson brought on Kiroz to kind of keep an eye on the on the Portuguese pipeline said to him uh, you know Kiroz told him there are two boys and Ferguson said which one should we sign and he said both and it was Cristiano and Koresma I have this sort of image of, of Ronaldo saying to Koresma you can have the Trivella that's yours <laughs> that's your thing I'm not going to bother I'll let you have that one um, and not make myself even more complete but I, I think I think this ties in nicely this 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 tidally ends our kind of surface level skim across the rivalry of Messi and Ronaldo. Or Ronaldo and Messi, I can't remember which round we really ought to have it. But let's fast forward one more month to December the 18th in Doha and the mathematically certain prospect of them facing the World Cup final. How madly will you be plugging that your book on that day? Uh, I'll be counting on all of you to help me. <laughs> um, I think I think it's it'll be the uh, sort of dueling emotions of, yes, I'm very excited to have a book out on this very thing, but also the, oh my God, I can't believe this happened and must we continue to talk about it? <laughs> um, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, your book is fascinating and all the best with it. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, cheers to you, Charlie. Um, are you any closer to solving this conundrum, or were you? Were you? Was it never particularly difficult for you? Uh, well, I've I've always lent one way on this particular. Fine. This particular debate. You don't. And you don't want to. Do you want to reveal it? That's fine. That's. What oh, I could reveal. It was very much messy. Okay, always. That's fine. Um, listeners, thanks to you for listening too. We'll see you on Tuesday. The Athletic.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.